The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. It is that time of year. Uh, Hope is a two-edged sword for a great number of players, their agents, their families, and, of course, for hockey fans all over the world. We are just about a week and a half away from the season opening. Uh, For the first time in a couple of years, there's going to be players. uh, There's going to be NHL games being played in Europe. Um, But most importantly, the Seattle Kraken have launched a new mascot, and that is clearly the hockey story of the year. It's newsworthy, that's for sure. You know, can't let can't let Philadelphia corner the market on mascots and craziness. And and so Seattle felt that they had to have their own. His name is Bowie. I'm assuming it's pronounced Bowie. It's spelt Bowie. It is pronounced Bowie. Yep. Uh, I guess the name makes sense based on the locale of the organization. Uh it's an interesting looking mascot. Uh, like Gritty, it doesn't really have a, a particular um, animal, vegetable, mineral type of uh, aspect to it. It's just a, a well, mascot according, with bluish hair. Twitter, according to Bowie's, uh, Bowie's Twitter handle, oh. Bowie is the friendliest troll uh, you're ever going to meet. Oh, he's a troll. Okay, well, Bowie is a troll. The friendly, a friendly type of troll, just or, like, just like every troll in storybook history. Or is it because he's on Twitter? He's using the word troll in some sort of a play on words kind of way. That would be fascinating. Do they think that far in advance ahead? Uh, not on the hockey op side. Uh, maybe on the marketing side. I mean, the team that he is the mascot for is having themselves a pretty good preseason from the looks of it. A um, couple of shutouts. They're undefeated. Uh, I don't know if Jeff Haxtall and, and crew are having issues with who they're going to cut based on all of this wild performance. But clearly the addition of Bowie is the number one story in Seattle. I mean, I found would all kinds. Would you say it's been a uh, beacon for them and maybe provided a little bit of lift for the roster? For the roster? Having Bowie around? I don't know. Is he going to have his own dance like Gritty does? I very, very, very much hope so. <laughs> interesting. I, I just, I find it interesting. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I Having a mascot, the Bruins have blades. The other teams have mascots. I mean, but they make sense based on Bruins or a bear. The the Bruins mascot is a bear. The Philadelphia Flyers have this orange fuzzy thing, and the Kraken don't have a Kraken as their mascot. I'm sure there's some lore that a a Kraken fan or Seattle resident uh, will enlighten us about. Um, but looking at the roster, I, uh, 
I don't see a significant improvement over previous years. Sure, they have Shane Wright um, and Matthew Bernier's, uh, who are expected to make the roster. Um, well, Matty Beniers better make the roster. Beniers. He's the number one pick, yeah. And he looked, um, pre- and he's looked pretty good since joining the club. But you look at their back end and nothing to write I home about. Nice names. Well, they still have Eberle in the front. They got Burakovsky, Oliver Bjorkstrand. They still have Yanni Gord from the draft. I mean, they have players up front. They have players that can put the puck in the net. Oh, they even have Carson Kuhlman. Like, honestly, this seems to be an inverse of the roster they had last season or when they opened their inaugural season because last year their defense was better than their forward group. And I'm not sure that's the case now. Well, if the defense hasn't changed, I mean, you look at if you look at cap friendly, the defense all yeah, I mean, five for expansion, expansion yeah. draft, yeah. So they still have Alexiak. I know you don't like him, but they still have Alexiak. They still have Vince Dunn, which somebody please explain to me how he ended up on the Kraken. But yeah, Adam Larson, who's bound, who was traded. For Taylor at one Hall, point for Taylor up. Hall, straight up. Mm. Wow, that's that's certainly a, an argument for who was thinking clearly that day. Um, Carson Soucy, William Borgen, who I don't remember much of. It, they just and 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 as they said in this the article that I saw that was talking about Bowie, they were talking about the team as well and the fact that they're four and zero and there's really not. I mean it. Even though they're not playoff games now, even though they're not regular season games, it's still good to see that the team is performing, that it's meshing. That it, it, I'm kind of taken aback by the fact that they haven't been beaten yet, considering they didn't have the strongest of um, inaugural campaigns last season. So, uh, nope that that's definitely not the case. Um, I I do worry about their goaltending across the season. They have three guys who have had um, checkered careers, I think is the polite way to put it. Uh, they have Grubar, Dider, or I'm sorry, Dieter. Yep. And then uh, Martin Jones. Interesting that they brought in Martin Jones. He's got a no movement clause. In fact, all three goalies have have I'm sorry, not no movement, no trade clauses. All three goalies have no trade. Are they going to carry three goaltenders? It certainly looks that way. And I mean, in the in the minors, they've got Magnus Helberg, who's 31, and Joey Decord. So it doesn't appear that they even have a succession plan. So yeah, it looks like they're rolling with the three-headed monster uh, this season. Because I don't believe they have an ECHL affiliate at this point. I mean, which one do you send down? I mean, do you send down Martin Jones? Do you uh, Dreger? I think Grubauer is still going to be their number one. Uh, I mean, if you're going based on salary, yeah, you're sending Jones down. But if you're bring in Jones for no reason. Agreed. I don't know, but the but the true I mean, story. Cap, 
they have the cap space right now to carry everyone. Yeah, uh, but you can't put two goaltenders on the bench. I've never seen that. One's a healthy scratch, just like when you cab when you're carrying a thirteenth or fourteenth forward. I think they want to get Joey Decord as much playing time as they can in the minors. I mean, in all honesty, I think they like Joey. Not that he has numbers to back that up. He doesn't. But then again, we're talking about a guy who, until he got to the NHL level, has not really, I don't know, he he did have two games for Belleville, and they weren't good either. His NHL numbers don't back it up, but then again, we're talking Senators and Kraken. So I don't know what to expect. I mean, his... 34 games in Charlotte, 2.27 goals against and a 925 save percentage. Clearly, he's got the skills. It sounds like he's got the fundamentals, but he may or may not have communication issues, or it may just be the two NHL rosters he's appeared on. Um, what's your prediction for the for where the Kraken uh, finished this season? Oh, and you took one of my you took one of mine away. Uh, I have to check that off my list because uh, I wrote down right here, Kraken make playoffs. <laughs> you actually are predicting for the Kraken to make the playoffs. No. I was going to ask you if the Kraken make the playoffs. <laughs> um, okay, that's not if a I, prediction I can make. That's not a prediction I can make either. I definitely feel that they are going to improve on last season's numbers. That would be so difficult. Yes, but the West still being squishy as it is. The question is how high. I mean, do they do they miss the playoffs by two spots? I I, mean, I figure they're probably going to finish somewhere. If I had to put a number on it, somewhere between ten and twelve. I, I would probably say twelve. I I think that Arizona is working really hard at being worse. I think that Chicago is worse. <laughs> Chicago, Chicago has Peter Morazic and uh, and Alexander Stalock in that. And to be quite honest, I'm not sure if you can make an argument that one is better than the other. Um, Stalock has his moments, Winnipeg, but he's not. I really want to like Winnipeg, but I think that there's just. There's something weird about that team, and I don't know what it is. And I would have to put Winnipeg is either going to end up like third in the division or or a lottery team. There's not a middle for them. And I would have to say the exact same thing about the Vancouver Canucks. Well, in their division, you got the Avalanche uh, number one, and if you want to argue that, I'm not hearing it because there is no argument. Colorado is number one. In that division, if you're asking me what my prediction is uh, for top three, it's probably Colorado, Minnesota, and St. Louis. And I feel fairly comfortable saying that. Okay. Is is the is one of the two wild cards going to be coming out of the central, or are we talking? Because in in the Pacific. Flames and Oilers. It's Flames, Oilers, and you have to go with Vegas until one of the California teams stops 
being terrible. But the Kings, Kings last season were a surprise, better than everybody expected, made it into the playoffs. Well, except for one was, person on this show who actually predicted them to make it. And they oh. did it without Doughty for the last uh, Doughty for the last like six eight weeks, which is even more impressive. But so that, they no longer have Brown, and that's a big bit of physicality and personality and leadership. Yeah. Yeah, and that role is not – I'm, I'm trying to find the person on the roster that's going to fill that role. I mean, I love Quentin Byfield. He's a big kid, but he's a kid. He's not that. He's not anywhere near as physical as Brown. I mean, no. He's definitely a better skater. He's got a higher offensive ceiling, but just not the same personality. Brendan Lemieux is physical, but beyond that, nothing. Uh, there really isn't somebody on the roster currently listed that's going to fill that role. That I can. No, and after the top six in the West, I think the only team that you should be at least penciling into the into a wild card spot is probably Nashville. You could make an argument for well, Dallas if everything the, goes right and Sagan and Ben suddenly pull their heads from their nether regions. Uh, but then again, the Dallas Stars still have to sign Robertson. Uh, otherwise... You got Vince McMahon's music playing uh, all season long there. <laughs> I think Vince McMahon's music is going to be playing anyway. I don't know. I, I, if I was Jason Robertson, I'd be slightly, slightly beyond offended that this hasn't been done yet. I, yes. I, I sorry the 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 output that he had last season. Yeah, I'd be like, what the. Words we can't say on the show. On the show, yeah, yes, uh, no, no argument here. What is taking you guys so long? Because that's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, what's their cap situation like? Uh, hold on, I'm actually on cap friendly. Let's see. Hmm. They've got seven million in cap space, and that's before they, that's before they signed Robertson with twelve forwards already listed uh, on the team. Um, yes, they have for a, on injured reserve, but for a kid that in two full for, in two seasons, okay, so in 2021 in 51 games he had 45 points, 17, 28. Last season in 74 games he had 79 points, 41 goals, 38 assists, and they're mucking about. This is ridiculous. Just by comparison, last season, Tyler Sagan, who will come up again later, um, had who is paid nine point eight million and change, um, had forty nine points overpaid in eighty one games. And Jamie Ben, who was paid about the same nine and a half million, had forty six points in eighty two games overpaid. Um, people used to talk about Jamie Ben being one of the best stars in the league, and I'm like, he's one of the best Dallas stars in the league. No, there you go, yeah. But that's not even true anymore. I mean, not unless you're counting it as, like, the best 40 or 50 <sighs> Dallas stars currently playing in the league, and then sure. But if you look at this, this is a team where 
Yes. Okay. Taylor Sagan, Taylor Sagan, Tyler Sagan, whatever. I'll say it right eventually. Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn. Leadership. They've been around a while. I get it. I think they're overpaid, but I get it. But the important guys now on that team are not Sagan and Ben. It's Jason Robertson. It's Rope Hints. It's Radek Faxa. It's it's Joe um, Pavelski. And Joe Pavelski was huge last season, and he makes half of what Sagan makes, and or just Dino slightly Boston, more. Asa Lindell and Miro Haskinen. And even De- even Dennis Gurianov is at mid twenties, twenty five years old. I mean. This team is it should be more about the youngsters, and one of your most important youngsters is still sitting there unsigned. Uh, oops. Not just oops, but they're going to run into the same situation the Bruins had in the past, where they set a bad precedent for relationships with young talent, and it snowballs into the other guys. Because guess what? Rufe hints. RFA arbitration eligible uh, and Radic Klaska RFA uh, arbitration eligible um, after this season, and that means they're both eligible for an offer sheet as well. No, Faxa got his Faxa got his contract. He's got he signed oh, for the next. Uh, Garyanov, it's Garyanov, yeah, Garyanov. Garyanov, who are eligible with, uh, I mean, as is uh, Marion Studnek, but. Don't know much about him though, and he's probably not high on on teams' radars for the mythical offer sheets. No, but Rupe, Rupe hints uh, he's getting three point one mil this season. Uh, that boy is going to be getting a slight increase in pay, yeah, and by and by slight I mean more than double. If he's not getting at least offered seven, then again somebody needs to get a slap in the head. And they're going to have to move people. And unfortunately, Sagan and Ben have no movement clauses. Um, Joe Pavelski, I don't think, is going to be back next season. Through no fault of his own, really. I mean, at 38 year or 37 year old season last year, Joe Pavelski had 81 points in 82 games. Yeah. I'm not quite sure he's ready to call it a day yet, okay? <laughs> I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but that's as many points as he had in the two previous seasons put together, um, where he played something like 115 games. Whatever it was about last season, he loved it. and I he, was, he was playing with rope hints. <laughs> <laughs> He's still going to get a new contract next season or next year if he a if he wants one and b if he plays anything like last season or ha- even the season before. I mean, 51, 51 points in fifty six games with all of the restrictions going on in the in the uh, COVID era. Not a bad accomplishment for anyone, much less an old guy. 51 points in 56 games played in every game of the season. Uh, I'm not arguing it played in all 82 games. Uh, I'm thinking that he has had his seasons where actually no 67 was He's been a really consistent player. Uh, he's also really been healthy. like obnoxiously um, healthy. 
82, 82, 81, 82, 75. Oh, he missed seven games in 1819. He missed a whole seven games. I mean, he's going to cross the 1,200 mark this season uh, fairly early. Yep. Um, A little bit less than halfway through. He's got 32 games to get there. But um, so is he going to make a thousand point? I guess that's another prediction uh, or another question. Anyway, does Joe Pavelski get to 1000 points? That would be 70. He could 76. He could conceivably do it this year. That's not. And it's not out of the not out of the realm of possibility. I'm going to have to we're going to have to use that as a poll like late in the week. Um I already put up a poll this week. It's pinned to my profile. Um, this one's on the Eastern Conference. Um, poll question is, after the New York Rangers and uh, Carolina Hurricanes, who has the strongest defense in the Eastern Conference, <laughs> New York Islanders, Florida Panthers, or someone else? Um, that one's going to run about three and a half more days. Uh, when that one's done, I will put up the question. Does Joe Pavelski hit a thousand or cross a thousand points in the NHL this year? Um, I wonder if that's a. I wonder that on next week. I wonder if that's a driving force for him. Does does hitting that one thousand point plateau push him to say he only gets to sixty nine seventy points this season and he's short by like a, a half dozen? There's no way he's not coming back next year. Exactly. If he's healthy and he gets 70 points this season, someone is going to offer him a contract. It might be the Sharks. It might be. It might be Boston. It might be. It might be Tampa Bay. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, he he doesn't have a hometown to go play in because Wisconsin doesn't have a uh, a team, but. Who knows? Maybe, although I don't see him as a pick of the team, if they're looking for a 2-3 C, maybe after that time. I think he's a little too, I don't think he's fast enough to keep up with them, but his hands certainly haven't uh, given out on him. Well, I don't know, 54 assists. Like I said, he. he I'm sure he was playing playing time with both Robertson and Rope Hintz, which makes which makes him that much more valuable as a distributor, that hence the fifty four assists. So Absolutely. can can he be a distributor on a team like the Avalanche? I I don't think in in the top six I think it might be a little difficult, but third line? Possibly. Does he go back to wants to go there and pick up 55 points in his thir- uh, uh, in his swan song swan song? Go for it. Go back to San Jose where he started. I don't know if he's mad at them because they didn't sign him or what, but he played a lot of years in San Jose. That's uh, an interesting question. Another place he might end up going just for uh, and that depends on the health of a certain star there. Maybe certain two stars. Um, Does San Jose going to Washington? 
Washington has their own aging superstar that that's trying to get a record. I mean, do they want to get? I don't know that they want to get older in Washington. They signed Zdeno Chara when he was 36 or 37 years old. Thinking that they were getting the Chara of 2011 or 2012. Um, And getting the Chara of 2018 or 19 or whenever it was. Because if you look at the – if you look real quick at the Caps roster, I've got it up. Their centers, they're starting the year with uh, Backstrom on on the injured reserve. Um, I haven't looked at his uh, looked at his prognosis, but they've got the only center they've got signed uh, long term other than him is yes because uh, Netsov mm-hmm. and back from and because Lars Eller only signed for this season, Dylan Strom only signed for this season, and Nick Dowd. And Marcus Johansson are really only signed. Well, Nick Dowd is signed for a couple of years, but not going to be competing with Joe Pavelski for a spot. Here's the problem with Washington. There are if a there's six there are six plus million over the over the cap. Um. And yes, like two thirds of the team has a three in their age category as opposed to a two. Oh, the average age they, of the whole team is over 30, which is. They need to get younger. They have to be the oldest team in the league. I can't think of a single team that right now, based on projections, Cap Friendly has their forward group at 29.5 and both the and the defense at 30.3 and the goaltending at 30. Yeah. Uh, as average ages. I don't think even Pittsburgh is that old, and I know that Pittsburgh is old. Um, no, Pittsburgh is all 29s. 29-2, 29-8, and 29-even, which isn't surprising. Um, I'd be hard-pressed to think of the next oldest team off the top of my head. It, is it Nashville? Potential. No, their defense is older, but they're 27 and uh, 27 one at forward and 27 at defense. Um, although, actually, it might it could be Boston with Bold Bergeron and uh, yeah, it might be Boston Bergeron uh, at forward 29 nine defense 27. I don't know. I, I'd have to look deeper, and that's really not that interesting. Um, no. Let's uh, let's dive hard into our predictions. Um, mm-hmm. You want to go with a couple of yours? Do you want to go with mine or? Uh, well, we knocked one of mine off the list already. So let's go with let's go with your next one then. Um, out of straight out of training camp, McLaughlin, Beecher, or Lysel making the. Bruins top ma- making the the top club. I think Beecher no. Really? I think Lasell probably not. I think I think after yesterday's little knock, I think that yeah, that might. And I don't think I don't think it's that because they they're saying it's it, it, he'll be fine in a couple of days. It okay. doesn't look like there's any major damage. 
Um, but obviously being the preseason, there's no reason to shove someone back out on the ice. Um, but I think I've seen the most of that three of that trio. I've seen the most from McLaughlin. Did Beecher look great in those two uh, up ice rushes? Yeah. Um, that goal uh, he scored shot shorthanded. Absolutely beautiful. I mean, yes. Uh, in in Philly's defense, they did pull the goaltender trying to get the six on four advantage. So it was an empty net. But what impressed me about it was the speed that Beecher showed us. I I've seen Beecher because I watch Michigan and I didn't think he was the fastest man on skates. He certainly wasn't when he was at Michigan. Ben years is faster than him. Kent Johnson is slightly faster than him. I mean, he's not the, he's not breaking any land speed records, any stretch, but the straight line speed, it kind of in the, kind of in the, in the Milan Lucic, um, oh, he's vain. faster than Luch. <laughs> but it, 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 it's straight saying. line speed. He's not. He's not Fabian Lysel that's going to twist and turn his way through traffic. And and he. But straight line speed. He was faster than I remember seeing him at Michigan. And I was. I was impressed by that. I mean, DeBrusque, Everybody talks about his speed and oh look at his rush and he did. Blah, blah, blah. You know, Beecher showed that he has wheels. I, I mean, if he had to make a great. cut, he, the wheels are great. And I, I definitely didn't expect to see that because he not only pulled away and stayed away, um, it didn't look like he was pushing himself to do it. Um, what impressed me more was the line that he took because he kept he protected that puck the whole way. He had space from the board so he couldn't be squeezed off and he was close enough to the center of the ice to maintain a good angle even on an empty net. We've seen people take stupid shots at empty nets and miss. Um, he actually he actually took a couple of extra strides to make sure that he was clear of the defenseman before putting the puck on the net. Ding, ding, ding. And I'm more impressed by brains than raw ability because raw ability is going to decline as you age. You're going to peak and it's going to fall. Do I think that Beecher definitely will make the NHL at some point? Yes. But I don't know that he's shown the most of those three. I think of those three, even allowing for the fact that you might expect slightly more from McLaughlin because he did play a couple of games last season, I would have to pick McLaughlin of the three. I definitely, and it's not, this is not a knock on Lysel. I think he's fantastically skilled. Yes. Well, by fantastically skilled, I mean he's a legit NHL player if he can drill in and show mentally that he can polish a few inconsistencies. Okay. I don't think he's anywhere near as flaky as some of the guys who have come through here at high levels of skill, you know, Ryan Spooner, Kokochev. Um, there's a couple of other guys who just, as uh, Kirk Ludecky put it, million dollar body, uh, $5 brain. <laughs> Wait, wasn't he talking about uh, a certain Greenway brother? Uh, I will neither confirm nor deny that. Okay. Um, Who, by the way, looked a lot better this year. I mean, wow, did he look a lot better this year at development camp? Well, I think he's decided what he wants to be. 
And well, I they they did they did bump him up to a wing position. He wasn't playing defense. Um, sort of, and that's, we're going to talk about another player who's having a position adjustment once we finish the predictions. Next one. Uh, I don't have a next one at the moment. Your turn. Okay. Um, I had, I had put together several of them and I think you saw all of them, um, and I made my predictions on the first couple. Um, I don't think I got all the way through because, uh, well, anyways. Uh, well, well, which I, one? Go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was going to say, which one do you want to do you want to start straight at the top or because we got. Oh, well, OK, he's coming up next. All right, go ahead. Eichel or Matthews. I want to run through the predictions and then we'll do the other stuff because otherwise we'll get lost. <laughs> OK, fair enough. We do that a lot. Yes. We're actually going to stay on topic for a change for three full minutes. Okay. We're going to be very proud of us. Uh, so will Eichel or Matthews have more assists this season? On this one, I'm going to go – on this one, I'm going to go Jack Eichel, only because in my view, from what I've seen – and I understand that Eichel didn't play because of his, his neck injury. But based on what I saw before that and based on what I've seen of Matthews, Matthews is more of a pure goal scorer. He doesn't strike me as a distributor. I think that based on the fact that he plays with other offensively gifted players, he gets a lot of freebie apples. Um I think that Eichel will have more assists than Matthews in this upcoming season. That was my prediction. Um, this one here is uh, specifically to amuse a certain uh, former coworker of mine. Uh, <laughs> or Tyler Sagan finished the season with more points. Yours or ours? <laughs> mine. Definitely mine. Okay. Ah. Uh. This question becomes more about health than it does about actual finish. Both castles. I think you have to ask the question about the team that they're on too, because it's it's going to come down to line mates in a lot of ways. Agreed. But I I honestly thought it was an easy choice. Really. I picked Castle, and I I don't really have any regrets about it. And it had nothing to do with health. I'm, I'm. I think health is a part of it, but there's also the fact that Kessel is hockey old at this point, and uh, Sagan's only hockey middle age. Bill Kessel is 35 years old. He's playing with Vegas. I don't think that he's going to be paired up on a line with Eichel. This one's actually tougher than it would seem on the on the on the onset. I don't know. I think I'm still going to go. I think I'm still going to go Sagan. I think that if they pair him, I mean, if they pair him up with Ben, but yeah, I think I'm going to go Sagan on this one. I like uh, I like that Phil Kessel's 
on a decent team, and I like the players around him. But, yeah, I'm going to go Sagan on this one. Um, will Colin Miller of the Dallas Stars or Mike Riley of the Boston Bruins play more games for the teams they are currently signed for? Or signed for? Um, is this even a fair question? Wait a minute, because Colin Miller, no, Colin Miller is what the best defenseman ever, if I remember correctly. Based on the number of times he's been picked up off of waivers, you would think that there's a lot more to him than either of us view. I mean, is it is it is it sad that I'm going to say this out loud, but. I had no idea where he ended up until you just said that he's on the Dallas Stars. I mean, as far as I knew, the last team he was on was Buffalo. Uh, yep, he is He is definitely part of the Texas hockey community. And the fact that he's only 29 years old. Uh, with the team, see, and the, and the key part of that question is with the team they're currently on, because I think that. Colin Miller could end up being trade bait at a deadline, depending on where Dallas is situated come the deadline. Uh, he's got two year deal. It's relatively cheap for a 29 year old. I'm going to go Mike. I'm going to go Riley plays more time with the team that he's currently with. I actually put Colin Miller because I, I think that with the depth uh, of players in in Bruins camp, particularly if they signed Stone, that given that Riley was taken out of games back half the season last year, that his position really hasn't improved vis-a-vis or in comparison to the other players. Fair. I, you know what? I can, I can see that. I just don't it's okay you're allowed to be wrong yeah I know and you love to say that so I'll let you have it and I think this may be the hardest prediction um, in some ways because it's really an oranges uh, an oranges and tomatoes comparison or perhaps an oranges and zucchini comparison um, we'll, who will have more wins this year Vitek Vanacek and Mackenzie Blackwood combined, or Andre Vasilevsky? Blackwood and Vanacek. That's an interesting call. I mean, I think that the current Devils team is the best one that we've seen in four or five years. Um, I mean, that forward group is enough to make you salivate. Um, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm just thinking in terms of, uh, but, and even, I think even the defense has gotten slightly better. Um, You've got John Marino. You've got Ryan Graves. I think that Siegenthaler looked pretty solid last year. 
Um, I've never been huge on Severson, and I think Hamilton is slowing down as much as as much as uh, as much as PK did. But I actually went with Vasilevsky. Okay. Again, you're allowed to be wrong. Oh wait, that's me that you always say it about. I'm allowed to be wrong. But anyway, I just I. Tampa Bay has played a lot of hockey over the last three years. They have. And Vasilevsky has been in net for a lot of hockey over the last three years. So you think he's due for an injury, a downturn or something like that? He played 63 games last year, not including playoffs. 42 the year before, that was out of 56. 52 the year before, that was out of, say, 70. 6970. That is a lot of hockey. I would not be surprised if there is a knock or a ding or something happens. And again, those are all not including playoff game. I, I just I mean, and if you go backwards even 2 years before that, 53 and 65. Numbers fabulous. Uh 916 last year was a little a little bit of a downturn from the 925 the year before. I think that I, I would not be surprised if he's hemmed up for a couple of weeks with a, some kind of a strain or something. I, that and, and, and you couldn't possibly be upset about it or surprised about it because of no. all the hockey he's been involved in. No, and I thought that he was starting to dip a little bit uh, last season. Um, whether he managed to recover fully in the offseason or not is anyone's guess at this point. Um, I haven't really looked at uh, coverage of the of the uh, Lightning camp. Um, but that does bring us to our next question. Yes. We, uh, between the Colorado Avalanche and the Tampa Bay Lightning, which team has more points at Thanksgiving, more points at January 1st, and more points at the end of the season? Um, they can be three different answers. They can be uh, the same answer all three times. Your call. Uh, avalanche, avalanche, avalanche. <clears throat> I, yeah, I, I, think I, I agree. And I think part of, I think most of that is I looked at their schedule from the opening se- opening of the season to the end of December, they could easily have 60 points by New Year's. Which is scary. Like, easily 60 points, because they really only have, like, eight or maybe ten tough games. Like, they play Carolina, they play the Rangers, um, who are definitely going to be serious games. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have like they have Philly on the roster a couple of times. They have the Habs on the roster a couple of times. Uh, they've got Arizona like three times. Exactly. I'm looking at the fact that they are in the West, and unfortunately, as we've said so many times, the West being as squishy as it is, I think that they are going to have an easier time building up the points than Tampa Bay is when they have to play a New York Rangers defense. Uh, a Carolina defense, 
whether you, whoever in your poll ends up being third, whether it's Boston or or Florida, it, the defenses seem to be a lot more stout in the East. And I, I, I mean, looking at their looking at their at the, at the Avalanche schedule between now and the end of the year, I don't even see a really tough five game schedule if they're healthy. Do I think that Buffalo is definitely better than they were three years ago or five years ago? Absolutely. But you look at the start of December, and they and this is the Avalanche. They play at Buffalo, at Boston, at Philly. No longer than the than three hour flight, and I don't even think it's that long between any of those locations. And then they're home for Boston, New York. Uh, they pop out to St. Louis. They go to Philly. And then they play Buffalo again, Nashville. Then they have the Islanders, the Habs. They're at Nashville, at the Coyotes after three days, three full days off. They're home for, and then they're finishing off the year at home against Los Angeles and Toronto. After the after the Rangers, after the St. Louis game, they don't play another tough game until the 31st. So between the 11th and the 31st, they don't really, really have a tough game. There's not a game that you shouldn't expect them to win. Okay. That's an eight-game stretch where they should put up 16. They could, they can, they should bank on 14 out of those 16 points in those 18 games. Yes, they're playing... Yes, they have a lot of games in that stretch, but they're playing every other night. They have a five-game homestand. They fly out to from Colorado to Nashville, so not a super long trip. And then they fly out from Colorado to Arizona, not a super long trip. I mean, 16 points out of they could they could pile up 16 points between their Philly game and their L.A. game. Um, I thought That's, that was fairly easy yeah. once I looked at the calendar. Yeah, that and, and like I said, my when I first read that, my first thought was immediately was Avalanche. I'm just thinking you play more teams in your own side than you do, although – with the fact that they don't play rivalries anymore. We're not getting into that. I just figured it's going to be easier for the avalanche to bank points. And here's one that might not be as easy as it looks. um, Or as some people think. I don't think I understood. I don't think I understood this one, but go ahead. Who's going to have more points at the end of the season? Connor McDavid or the Colorado Avalanche. See, and then my first time, my the first time I read that, I was like, "Well, obviously the Avalanche, because you got twelve forwards and six and six no, defense no. as opposed to one guy." But then I then I thought about it, and I'm like, "Oh, he means are the Avalanche going to have more points from wins at the end of the season, or McDavid's points, as in goals yes. and assists?" Ah, uh, 
and yes, that one is tough. When you actually think about it that way, that one is tougher than it first looks. Because all it takes is, I mean, I think the obvious answer is McDavid, just based on his career history. But it only takes a week of him being out for that to flip radically. I mean, McDavid has averaged 100... uh, 123, 105, 97. He had 116. I mean, his he's averaging over 100 points per season. I haven't done the actual math as to break it down as to how many points. I mean, career-wise, he has 55 playoff in the playoffs. He is, has 55 points in 37 games. Yep. yep. In the regular season, he's got 697 points in 487 games. He's got almost an assist per game in his career um, at 458 and 487 in the regular season. Uh, I think the I think the answer. Yeah, I think the answer here is Connor McDavid. But again, like you said, if he's out for even a week with even a week with a with a, a knee contusion or something and he misses two or three games if he only misses a couple of games maybe not but if he's out for if he's out for seven yeah if he's out for a seven game stretch that could throw that number out out the window but i think the answer in a vacuum i think the answer is Connor mcdavid now this this next question got much much harder after uh i after i noticed a new story um, this morning. Oh. Will a combination of Nazem Kadri, Mitch Marner, and Matthew Kachuk total more points than the combination of Patrice Bergeron, Sidney Crosby, and Leon Dreisaitl? Mm. Isn't Kadri playing with Kachuk? Isn't he in Florida as well? Uh, no, Kadri is. I th- Where did Kadri end up? He's he ended not up with Flames. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's right. If he's playing with uh, a lot, you know, he's the center, so he won't play unless they put Lindholm on the right side. Um, but usually they play him at center. Um, I mean, he could end up with Hubie on his left. Really, that'd be intriguing. Kadri Moner and Kachuk total more points than Bergeron, Crosby, and Dreisaitl. I think that I think they will. Unfortunately, the possibility of Bergeron at as much as he's an he's he thinks he's Iron Man and he plays through every kind of known pain. I just I, I, the possibility at. Uh, Bergeron at his age, Crosby at his age, the possibility of one or both of them being out for a week or two, whereas Kachuk is young, Marner is young, Kadri definitely the oldest of the bunch, but I well, think that I think they will. The, the factors that make it confusing for me or uh-huh. difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Kadri had a career year last year. Like, there's no way of disguising that. Yeah. He had 87 points in 71 games. His next highest point total is 61 and 82. 
Um, and if you combine the two seasons before uh, last year, in 107 games, he had a total of 68 points. Last year was an anomaly. As much as I like Nazem Kadri, last year was an anomaly until he proves it wasn't. Um, and that's uh, his average points are the lowest of these six players. Then, when you throw in the news that the Abs are, I mean, the Leafs are experimenting with Arner at defense, uh, given <coughs> their blue line injuries. Excuse me. Um, I'm sorry. Did you say Marner at defense? I, I understand that, and and I've made fun of Toronto ad nauseum about the fact that they don't know what defense is or how to scout for it or draft for it or use it when they suddenly trade for it. Yeah. Or or when they trade for Jake Muzzin and wait, we have a defenseman now. Okay. <laughs> Except that you don't have any way to play with him. Okay. <laughs> I felt bad for Jake Muzzin in that deal. I mean, yes, he got to go to the playoffs, but you had to know that you weren't going anywhere. You're going to put Mitch Marner. You're so hellbent on not acquiring actual defensemen that in order to keep Marner on the ice more, you're going to move him to a defense position. I missed this story, but. (laughs) They've been doing throughout camp. Uh, Marner, as most of you know, uh, plays right wing. He's not a big guy. Um, he's not, <laughs> I mean, he's six feet, 175 pounds. And he's um, going to play defense. Okay. My worry here. That he gets is, run over. <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing. If he had spent most of his career or part of his career at defense, I'd be a little less worried. But reading the ice from three feet inside the blue line all of the time versus reading it from below the dots, a little bit different. And I mean, it, it, it could be worse if they said it was Matthew. I mean, at least Marner is a 200 foot player. You know, if I had to look on that team and go, yeah, he's in the in the vein of a Patrice Burke. It would be Marner. Marner is a 200-foot player. Matthews doesn't strike me as such. He's more of a four. Yeah, you're picking the right guy, but my thing is he's been a forward all his career. He's been a forward in junior. Does he even skate backwards? I've seen him skate backwards. My 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 concern here, uh, some of it is mechanical. Um, you use different muscles skating backwards than you do forward. Yeah. So, Potential for something nasty like a high ankle sprain um, or even just tripping over the blue line and doing something horrible to something with a CL to it. Um, higher than a standard than a normal defenseman. Um, number two, if he's spending that much more time back there, while well, he's definitely a gifted playmaker, the odds are higher that someone else is going to collect the pass and lengthen the time, lengthen the amount of time between when he touches it and when it goes into the net. So this could end up being bad for my, Mitch Marner's numbers, depending on how long it persists. If they only do it for the first 10 games of the year until someone gets healthy and they can put an actual defenseman back at actual defense, 
Okay. So so basically what I'm – and having read this, having skimmed this, read this, what I'm getting out of this is that, A, it's going to be situational. But basically he's trying to run a power play unit onto the ice. At even strength. Yeah. At even strength. Because it gives that – and to quote Keith <clears> – <throat> There could be opportunities in the game where we might want to give him a look on defense, scoring goal, playing from behind, might give some opportunity. It's Mitch is a right shot, a highly offensive player that can help us, and it allows us to put on another high impact forward like Nylander in that case. So it's something worth looking at for us, I think. So basically, yeah, he's trying to put on even strength power play units and having. Marner out there on the, and I'm sorry, and then he and then references early, later in the article references having those skills sets are important. So I think naturally players younger and younger are going to come up with those type of skill sets. You look at forwards converted to defensemen at younger ages. You look at the way Kel McCarr plays the game. Kel McCarr has been a defenseman. He's played the position. <laughs> You cannot compare Mitch Marner to Kale McCarr. I'm sorry. Well, they are both young guys, and they're both super skilled. and That's That's where it ends. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. You are so hell-bent on not getting actual defensemen that you're going to play Marner on defense. Oh, my goodness. He's a coach. It's not his fault what what leadership supplies him with. Which uh, brings us to our next uh, fun question. I'm sorry. I'll stop laughing in a minute because this is just too much. (laughs) Who is likely to be – who's going to be suspended more games this year? Tom Wilson, currently injured, or Evander Kane? Uh, How serious is Tom Wilson's injury? Uh, I honestly have not looked in on – or actually, let me – I did pull up some of the – Injury reports. Um, but I, 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 it doesn't matter. My answer is still the same. It's going to be Tom Wilson. He's a knucklehead. Uh, it looks like he's out. Uh, according to this, he's out until mid-December. Tom Wilson's a knucklehead. Yeah, but there's a lot of people in the league who don't like Evander Kane for whatever reason. Yes, but Tom Wilson's a knucklehead. All the talent in the world. And I'm sorry, if you watch the guy play, he's clearly talented. If he could get rid of the meathead part of him, he'd be one. He, we'd be celebrating him as like top 10, top 15 player in the league. Offensively. I wouldn't go that far. Offensively, I think his numbers would put him in the top, I don't know, 15 percentage percentile. He's... I, I would say that if he could stop being so much of a meathead, he would be a 30-goal scorer a couple of times in his career. And that's okay. as far as I'll go. Okay, I'll, and I'll go with that. I'm just saying that he, the talent – there's talent there, and it gets shadowed over by – and it's a huge shadow. It gets shadowed over by the fact that he's a meathead, and he can't get out of his own way. Um, I, I like – yes, I like Evander Kane and my bias toward – you know. 
I don't see Evander Kane's not somebody who's going to get suspended all the time. He's not he, he's not a troublemaker player. Yes, he plays with his emotions on his sleeve and that gets him into trouble. Same thing with Brad Marchand. He's a, another one that plays emotions on the surface. Um and second to last prediction. Who's more likely to hit 30 wins this year, Jonathan Quick or Jeremy Swayman? I hate the fact that that all depends. That question sadly all depends on two things. One, is Cal Peterson going to be the Cal Peterson that we all hope he can be, or is he going to be a a struggle? And in Boston, is Swayman going to get more playing time than Olmark or is Montgomery going to seriously do a 50, 50 thing? Oh, you, you left off another major factor. What Jonathan quick retired and he's not playing. So no, no, no. How healthy is John quick going to be this year? I don't know. If he's not very healthy, how willing is he going to be to play through pain in the last year of his contract? So is it going to be another answer where neither one? I mean, and, and honestly, when I first read this question, my first thought was Swayman anyway. But when I tried to think of actual reasons why to defend my answer, it was like, well, Jonathan Quick, if Cal Peterson struggles again, he's going to move into the number one role. I know they want Peterson to be the number one because Jonathan Quick's getting older and he could potentially get injured. I'm going to stick with Swayman on this. But I think that there's more question marks in the prediction than there should be. I love Jeremy Swayman. I really do. Mm-hmm. What I've seen of Olmark in this preseason. Yeah. And then there was Olmark yesterday who looked really good. What I what I expect a first year in a new city coach to do. I have to go with quick in this instance. You think he's going to, you think, you think Montgomery's going to go with Olmark number one? I think he's, I think they're going to go with a split. And I mean, if they each play 41 games, I cannot foresee a situation where both of them cross, where both of them, where one of them gets 30 wins. If one of them is, if one of them is getting, go ahead. This team is not a 55 win season, a 55 or so win team. Well, that's what I was thinking. If one of them start, if one of them starts getting close, if one of them is so much better than the other that they're getting to 30 wins that much quicker, then I think Montgomery needs to readjust and and go to a a one and two as opposed to a 50 50. And last prediction, and I don't remember if I had this on the list or not. Uh, Based on what I'm looking at, no, that was the last one, but go ahead. Uh, Which coach is most likely to be fired by the end of the season? And by that, I mean before the cup goes up, not by the end of the regular season. Who's the first coach to be fired? Most likely to be fired. And I, uh, hmm. I have a strong idea about that, 
and it's not entirely that coach's fault. Really? This ought to be intriguing, but let me see if I can come up with one. Hmm. I hadn't even, because it wasn't on the list, so I hadn't considered this. This isn't fair. Would you like to ponder my softball while I ponder this one? Go for it. Who who fin- who wins the race for 32? I mean, points wise. Nah, I, is it Arizona? Is it Montreal? I mean, who wins who wins the race for 32? And I'm not going to throw team names out there because I don't want to limit your options. But see, there's so much riding on that. Um, I mean, if you're looking at the team who has worked the hardest at getting to 32, it's either the Chicago Blackhawks or the or the uh, Coyotes. But both play in the Western Conference, which is softer anyways. So those rosters are probably going to win a couple of games that they probably a couple of more games than their leadership is pro, is projecting. Uh, I mean, Clayton Keller, not a terrible player. Nick Schmaltz, not a terrible player. Andrew Ladd, definitely not terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Austin Krause. Um, then you then you've got some more interesting players and guys who can still contribute, like Nick Bugstad. Um The defense, I think that defense is ripe for uh, picking up still more draft picks. You know, if they want to, if they finally get off their uh, butts and move Jacob Chikrin and Gostas Bear. <laughs> um, That's funny. And like even Josh Brown and Troy Stetcher, they can probably pick up five or six additional picks with those guys moved. Um, Chicago, I think Chicago is still. It, <laughs> Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, Andreas Atanasiu, Tyler, uh, uh, Tyler Johnson, um, Seth Jones, and Jack Johnson and Alex uh, Alex Vlasic. Um, I think that's too good of a roster to end up at 32 without uh, not that I love their goaltending, but without worst goaltending. Mm-hmm. Um, in the East, I don't think it's going to be Buffalo. It's it's really hard to look at the East and say that there's a team who's going to finish in the bottom five this year. I mean, really? mathematically, one of them, one or two of them will. But I mean, maybe the Islanders. I don't think it's Buffalo. I think that they're close to a playoff team. Um, even as much as it pains me to say, uh, actually looking at their roster, I, I don't think Detroit is quite bad enough to be 32nd. I, I think they're in the bottom eight. I think that, I think Detroit's going to be closer to a playoff spot than they are to the bottom. I'm not saying they're making the playoffs. I'm saying that I think they'll be closer to a playoff spot than the bottom. It, it, it'll be interesting to see how the goaltending works out, bringing in Huso, 
but they got a lot of good youngster. They got a lot of good young players on that team. Moritz Sider, uh, rookie of the year, uh, on the on the on the top on the top side, you've got guys like Lucas Ray, uh, Lucas Raymond. You've got <clears throat> Philip Zadina, Pew Suter. There's a lot of there's a lot of good on that team. I don't think they're going to be finishing as close okay, to the bottom. I'm going to go with the easy answer and say Arizona. I've been trying like hell to figure out <clears throat> if there is a team that is going to beat that. I mean, if the only two options that I could come up with ahead of Arizona to beat Arizona to that are their brethren in Chicago, the Blackhawks and the Montreal Canadiens. I, as healthy as Gallagher is right now. Um, with Gallagher does Gallagher does not a team make, however. Nope, but you've got Nick Suzuki, you've got Josh Anderson, as much as, well, you've got um, Cole Caulfield up front, uh, you've got David Savard at the back end. I think that they might end up being the worst team in the East, or bottom, one of the bottom two teams in the East, but I have a hard time looking at the team and saying, if they're reasonably healthy, that they're actually... Uh, actually, a bottom, uh, bottom of the barrel team. Okay. Uh, if they, well, actually, their cap situation is such a hot mess. I don't even know where to begin. Uh, like literally, don't know where to begin because you've got, uh, they've got twenty six million on injured reserve, um, including. Sean Monahan, Jonathan Druin, Paul Byron, and Harry Price. Um, and I think that the, I think that guys like Kirby Doc and Jake Evans also have something to prove this year to themselves, if to no one else. Um, I I'm certainly not picking this team to return to the Stanley Cup Finals, um, but. I will not be shocked if at the end of the season they're outside the bottom five in the league. Okay. I mean, yes, I think the argument has to be made that Arizona is going to be just from a standpoint of what they're putting on the ice, what they're trying to sell Arizona and the fact that they don't have a home, the fact that uh, you do have a lot of youth and, and they, they have a lot of youth and they have a lot of youth that, is desirable so if they start winning too many games they can they can move valuable pieces and as i said get back a lot they can yeah. take on a couple of really bad contracts um and pick up pieces which seems to be a a habit of theirs now uh, so yes arizona i think still has to uh win i think arizona still wins the race as far as your question uh, I've been mulling it over, and the 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 one name that keeps coming, the one the name that keeps popping up, popping into my mind, and more because of the situation, less because of the team itself. But then again, the team could be made an argument as well. Uh, the Pagulas haven't fired anybody in a couple of years, so I think Don Granado's on the seat. 
someone said that on I think someone said that on the radio earlier this week or last week and it, I laughed while I was driving. I wish they'd um, stop stealing my material. I know. Um, but yes, well, I don't, certainly but, agree that that's a possibility. As far as as far as a truthful answer or a serious answer, I'm split only because one has been around for a long time and the other one is it certainly depends on how the team does. My first thought was Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh. He's been there for a long time. Does that mean that he's entrenched and he's not going to get fired no matter how bad the team does? And the other one that I thought of is in Nashville. If they if they falter, is John Hines in danger? So which one is it? I'm going to go with I'm going to go with John Hines in Nashville. I went with Sheldon Keefe. Sheldon Keefe almost seemed too obvious to me, only because they can't get out of the first round. Well, it's not only that they but can't the, get out of the first round when they have actual defense to defensemen to play defense, but they're now using one of their three best or two best offensive players to play defense. Uh-huh. That, like, that smacks of desperation. Yes, and it's not something that you're going to do without permission or encouragement from uh, from your general manager. Like, can you imagine the average GM showing up to the uh, home opener and seeing Patrice Bergeron lined up at, uh, at left defense or or uh, or, you know, seeing. Um, well, you know, he is the best. He is the best defensive forward in the league. I mean, he's won the Selkie five times. If ever there was a if ever there was a player that you could line up on defense, wouldn't it be him? <laughs> or Alex Ovechkin lined up at at right defense? No. No. Yeah, you would the, the, somebody that would be a resume generating event. Thank you very much. And I understand that. Yeah, I just uh, for me, Sheldon Keefe just seemed like an obvious. I don't know. I, I guess I could have well, picked him, but I did say most likely to be fired. So I still think that fruit? probably it, it is low hanging fruit. I mean, and even Don Granado, unfortunately, is low hanging fruit, like I said, because of the Pagulas. Okay. But honestly, I think that if Nashville str- I think if Nashville struggles, I think David Poyle will pull the trigger. I mean, he traded away Peter La- he, I traded away. He he fired Peter Laviolette. The guy brought them to the the guys brought them to the conference finals. The guys the guys been to the Stanley Cup final multiple times. I I mean yep. I don't see how John Hines can feel safe unless don't think anyone coaching in that in that uh, environment should feel safe. Let's uh, jump into Bruins roster predictions real quick because we are running uh, heavier on time than I think we projected. Um, so before the show, I think we can all safely pencil in. Uh, I think I penciled in the uh, eight forwards who I think we're I think we can both agree are probably safe. And that's in whatever order you want to put them. Zaka Bergeron, DeBrusque, Paul Krejci, Pasta, and then Coyle and Nosek. Yeah. Um, I have a short list of six. I have a list of six forwards who I think are probably 
in my opinion, the guys who should some four of these guys should be the ones on the ice. One of these guys should be in the stands and then someone else is going to be the unlucky guy who gets cut um, and sent uh, sent down or possibly traded before the start of the season um, at forward. Um, my short list uh, is Wagner, Smith, Frederick, Stadnika, McLaughlin, and Steen. Mm-hmm. Do you have a different short list? Unfortunately, no. This team is pretty easy to predict who's going to stay and, and who's going to be on the short list for players making the bus ride to Providence or being released, if that's even something they can do. Uh, and 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 the argument for keeping some of these, I mean, Nick Foligno looked awful from what you told me in the first play in the first preseason game. I, I thought that he looked better, and I didn't have much to compare it to, but I thought he looked better yesterday. He didn't look terrible yesterday, but I don't love his hands. Uh, I think that I think that of all these, all the tools to have evaporated on him, I think his shot has decreased the most or at least think, the most noticeably I think one of the things that plays against him is the fact that is that big anchor hanging around his neck that has 3.8 million on it there's also his age he's and not. he's and he's 34 years old but he's still physical he's he doesn't have to prove himself as 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 Brickley said yesterday you know I don't I don't I don't hate Nick Foligno. I never have. I don't either. I simply don't think that he's the best option at this point. I think that you can fill that role with somebody else from the organization for less than three point eight million. Absolutely, and I think I think um, Ty Anderson may get his way uh, because I think that AJ Greer has made a pretty solid case for himself. I haven't seen enough of him that I can make in a personal uh, prediction on uh, or assessment. I need to see more of him. But from what I'm reading, it sounds like, yes, he's really stepped into he's really stepped up his game. And it is possible that, you know, he could sneak in there. and, And even if he's the 13th forward sitting I just think that somebody he's 25 it's is he somebody that can benefit from playing every night in Providence as opposed to being the 13th forward on as a healthy scratch um it, 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 I'm just I think I think there's a strong argument to be made for playing every night I mean yes he racked up 52 points in 53 games for Utica last year um, I will, without saying, I don't think he's undeserving of playing in the NHL. I do, however, think that other guys have proven to gel better in the NHL. Um, and he's now, he's only, he's only got two goals in all of, in 47 NHL games, like regular season NHL games. Nick Foligno's not a huge goal scorer, never has been. I mean, his no. brother is the his brother is the gifted uh, forward as far as goal scoring. But I don't even love Foligno's passing right now, and that's that's a bigger issue. 
and and it's not like AJ Greer is. I mean, AJ Greer himself is listed as six three, two hundred ten pounds. So if you want physical, I unless he's afraid of being physical, I mean, he's got he the kind of scrap the other night that was pretty damn solid. That's what I'm saying. So I, I I think that the physical, as I said, I think that there are other options for what you expect out of Nick Bellino, and it's not going to cost you three point eight million dollars. I have nothing against Nick Foligno except for the fact that they are way overpaying him. And that's not his fault. If you can get rid of that contract without having to give up too much, I think you do it. Um, Not because he's a bad player, but because you have younger players who are ready for the NHL now and are likely to be healthier than he's been in the last two seasons. And that's all I'm going to say. Um, I think the defense is harder to put together. Um, I think that almost everyone is going to agree that the three defensemen uh, at camp, out of camp that should be on the team, and we're only talking about guys signed to initially, are Lindholm, Forbert, and Carla. Well, you and I both have uh, Clifton on there. Yes. And after that, I think it's wide open. I Yes, Riley. Yes, I do like Riley. But I think he's a I think he's a sixth or seventh defenseman. Um, yeah, I, I think he needs to be less like. Uh, I think he needs to be less like what's his name from 2000. He he needs to he needs to shoot Caberlet. more. I, Thomas Thomas, Thomas Caberlet, thank you. He needs to be less like Caberlet and more like, hey, I want to shoot the puck once in a while. Or hey, I remember to shoot the puck before I'm below the goal line. I mean, there was one game we were watching. I think it was last season, and it was clear that 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 Bruce Cassidy said something to him in the locker room because. He came out and at the very start of the next period, he immediately had three shots on net. So it was clear that somebody whispered in his ear that he needs to shoot once in a while. <laughs> and I, if they whispered, they were definitely more patient than I am, because at that point, I became one of those shoot, shoot, shoot guys screaming at my TV. TV, knowing that he can't hear me, but I don't care. Knowing uh, you've heard me shout. There's a decent chance for the games in Boston that he did actually hear me. But I mean, the the, the difficulty becomes in, in, in this Zaboro kid who, again, part of that part of that uh, part of that 15 draft. And. Didn't think he was ever going to amount to much. The fact that he's made it to the roster and the fact that they gave him a one-way contract that meant he had to be on the team. And the fact that he's willing to play on his off. I mean, they list him as left-right in, in cap friendly. But as ja- as Jack said yesterday, he was playing on his offside. His off-wing, his off, you know, the opposite. His offside, yeah. It's just... He hasn't looked as bad. I know this is going to sound terrible coming from me. He hasn't looked as bad as I thought he was going to look. Is that's, he is he serviceable? 
Is he, um, is he serviceable? Yes. I, I don't think that he's going to be stealing anybody's number. You know, I don't think he's going to be sitting on anybody's top line, I, uh, top pairing, but no. he's looked better than I expected of him. My question is, do you think he's a better sixth defenseman for this team than Riley? I don't. I think they're a different style of defenseman. I don't think Saboro is... Mike Riley strikes me as, and I thought coming here, I thought he was more of an offensive or two. Uh, I think Zaboro is more defensive defense, more like a Brandon Carlo style. I don't think Zaboro is a huge offensive. Uh, he's not going to be leading. He's not going to be leading the rush. Like Connor Clifton is a really to me, a good two-way defenseman. He can lead the rush, but he he can play back on the blue line as well. He pinches when he has to. Uh, Zaboro has no goals in 54 regular season games in the NHL. Um, true. Um, I think he's. I think he's probably a better breakout passer than, um, or at least as good a breakout passer as Riley. Um, yeah. Okay, I can see that. And I think that I think that that might end up making a difference. But the question, of course, comes comes again: Can he stay healthy? He got into ten games last year. He got into forty-two the year before. Which, but yeah, he's got zero goals in fifty-four NHL games. Um, I then there's then there's a Sean. Then there's the elephant in the room. Um, well, he's if, not as. There's Anton the Strawman. The if Strawman is signed, automatically he's one of the top six, and probably even after Grizzlick and uh, Grizzlick and McAvoy get back. I mean, this is a guy who, on a bad Coyotes team, averaged more than tw- averaged more than twenty minutes a night. Um. I 23 points in 74 game. I mean, he's yeah, he's as we as as I've read in the article and, and we talked about pre pregame, he's he's not in his prime anymore. He's 36 years old. But this is a guy who still knows how he, he's probably forgotten more about playing defense than I will ever know. He's played with he's played alongside guys like Victor Hedman. Yep. I mean, it. it I still don't understand what the Rangers were doing all those years ago, but that's in the past. Uh, <laughs> and this is a guy who, you know, I'm willing to trust him. If he can come in and play 15 to 18 minutes a night with his skills, not at the top of his game, but still has the ability to make it work. I mean, yeah, he sticks. Well, as I said, for me, if he signed, He's playing. All he has to do is stay healthy and he will play 40 games in the regular season or more and play in the playoffs. Uh, I, I, I don't see any other arguments against that. Um, looking at yesterday's game specifically, mm-hmm. I really, really kind of liked what I saw out of Wisman and Wolf. Kai Visman, I don't, I didn't, and and to be honest, I didn't know much about Kai Visman, but what I saw of him yesterday, 
Solid, solid, solid. Is everybody making little gaps here and there? It's preseason. I think there's communication that still needs to be worked out. Yes. And but this is his first year in North American hockey. Solid, solid, solid. Which is why I don't think he's going to make the roster, the camp out of uh, the roster out of camp. I don't either. I think additional injuries. I think they're going to be sending him down to Providence, and he needs. I mean, yes, he's 25 years old. I get it, but I think that seasoning him in the in Providence, playing every night, getting Give used him 20 to 20 minutes in every situation. Oh yeah, and just stand back and watch. Like I am somewhat jealous of the people who are who get the AHL broadcasts because I I would tune in to watch him and Wolf play this year. Um, I don't think Wolf has unfortunately enough upside to be considered or offensive upside to push his way into the roster without a lot of help. Um, but uh, I did like what I saw. I liked his positioning on the blue line. Yes, the fight helped, but I thought that he just did what a defenseman is supposed to do in an NHL game. And that's that's all you can ask. Yeah. I had no I had no issues with Wisman at all. Like I said, I just when when he when they were calling his name, I just had no idea who he was. I hadn't seen anything of him. I hadn't heard much about him. I know Nick Wolf, I know what he's capable of. Jack Ashan, I know what he's capable of. Or if they can't get his pronunciation right, is it a con or is it a Sean? Whatever. It seems to change I mean, broadcast to broadcast. I'm thinking the biggest knock against him is his size, unfortunately. I mean, he's not Never. big. But he also got the assist on McLaughlin's first goal. He he got the he's primary assist. In the right place a lot of the time. I don't have issues with them. I think what's holding back from any of these guys making roster spots is the fact that at some point you're going to be having McAvoy and Grizzly coming back. And there's two. Then you got Windholm, Carlo, Forbort. That's five. If Strawman sticks, that's six. And now, unfortunately, it's an argument about where do you fit Connor Clifton in, Zaboro. There's just there's too many. Options on defense for an Ashan or a Nick Wolf. To, they they really have to. They have to stand have to, on their head, so to speak. Yeah. To they really have to do something that stands out for them to break the rot. To force a trade, they literally have to force Don Sweeney to trade one of the guys who's currently ahead of them on the roster. Um, which means. They probably have, and that's before you throw McLaughlin in there. To, uh, not McLaughlin. Um, McLaughlin, are we trying him on defense? Uh, Callahan. Uh, that's before you throw Callahan into the mix. Um, are we? Are we going to try? Are we going to try McLaughlin on defense? Wait, wait, wait. Did Did Montgomery see what Sheldon Keefe was doing and wanted to try something as well? <laughs> I, he's actually going to move. Uh, he's actually going to move Craig Smith to defense <laughs> because what this team that is so complete with right wings needs to do is deprive themselves of another right wing. Fair enough. <laughs> um, oh goodness. Re, uh, re, uh, coming back to it though, what 
what what the young guys need to do on this team, and I don't know that any of them are quite there. And unfortunately, if uh, LaSalle is injured, um, although it's – Ty Anderson just tweeted while we've been recording that uh, Tyler, uh, Taylor Hall is week to week. So there might be another forward roster spot to open the season. Taylor Hall is week to week. Yeah, he got injured when he was tripped without a call in, I think, the second period yesterday. I Um, remember seeing that. He was hauled down. He got actually, was he hauled down or did he get hit in the face? There was one where he he got a stick up. He he got hit up high and he thought there should have been a call. I think he was hit in the face. And he was somewhat he was somewhat warm about it uh, to the official. Yes, that he he was um, expressing his concern over a lack of a call, uh, most likely in a professional way. He was providing professional feedback. Uh, yes, so that the official could improve upon his uh, work. Absolutely. But if one of these young guys can force a trade that moves out, maybe it's. Maybe it's Carlo. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's Felino. Or do you think they trade Carl? I don't see a Carlo trade in the offing, but okay. I don't necessarily see it happening, but of the guys who are healthy right now, we know that they're not trading Lindholm. <laughs> yes. Unless it's unless you're trading Clifton for a prospect like a B-level prospect, it's not a big enough... I don't see any of the kids uh, even really easily passing him, and his contract is too friendly. Maybe you trade Zaboro? Um, You know, I I think that Riley might be the guy who got moved. Um, I think that makes more sense. I think Riley is movable. He's not all that expensive at $3 million per... 29 years old, package, he's seasoned. If you could package, say, Riley and either Adric or Polino and get something back, like mostly cap space. <laughs> like if you package the three of them and you get like a second and a and a prospect who should make the NHL in a year or two. Interesting. Okay. That, All right. Because you're clearing up six million in space, even if you don't get another roster player. Although, of course, that could be the Jacob Chikrin trade. Hey, if they can find a way to get Chikrin here, I'm not. I'm not against it. Um, you'd need to move someone higher on the packing order because you'd also need to free up a lot of money because you still have to pay pasta. Don't have to pay pasta until next year. Yes, but you need to start thinking about it now, which meant that Sweeney should have been thinking about it two years ago. No comment. Um, the one position where the the one position where this team is comfortable is is goaltending. And I know that Jack and Brick said it yesterday on on the the NHL broad on on the Nesson broadcast, but. And I, and I have to agree with them. I think that Olmark looked really good yesterday. I think that Swayman is going to be Swayman. And 
So I'm not worried about Keith Kincaid or any other. I know that Kincaid was actually sure. in the backup role yesterday. You're sure you're not worried about uh, Keith Kincaid and Brandon Busey? Well, uh, Busey, they've already sent down. There was an article that I that, that I found that said that he was already sent down. So I don't think that I'm worried about it right now. No. And besides, everybody loves the the bromance between Swayman and Omar. The big hugs and the how do you not love that? It's such a feel good moment at the end of a game when they do that. You know, we still haven't gotten to the mock draft, and we are way way over on time. Well, the mock draft is for, like, the end of the season. I think that if we pushed it just a week, we'd be okay. We're still going to be ahead of the season, so we're not going to be running into talking about first games. And Okay, we'll push that to next week. Um, do we want to take five minutes and talk about the looking back at the Eric Carlson trade? But literally no more than five minutes. If you want to squeeze it in, go ahead. Okay. So <laughs> over the summer, uh, we hit the anniversary of the Brent, of the Eric Carlson from the Senators to Sharks trade. And all by itself, the trade is super interesting because you traded essentially five assets for one. Mm-hmm. And... Assuming that the team, that the Sharks had stayed right about where they were in terms of the rest of the roster, the Sharks probably would have won a cup and been to another final in the next two or three years. Okay. Unfortunately, they hit the big button that caused the earth-shattering kablooey, or at least the roster-shattering kablooey, and have been steadily falling and have fallen off ever since. They ended up winning the lottery and drafting it third the next year. So the return on the Eric Carlson trade all by itself, you could win it in two or three different ways, just looking at the players who came out of it. The fact that the Senators are arguably going arguably better this year and almost certainly better next year and the year after than they were at the time than than the Sharks. I'm actually trying to remember all of. Oh, there it is. Somebody very nicely put it on a put it on a little uh, GIF, GIF, whatever you want to call it for me. Yes. Uh, so the returns, the Ottawa additions from the Eric Carlson trade: Josh Norris, Tim Stutzel. Actually, I think that I think Stutzla was the. I think that was. That was a pick that got them Stutzla. I don't think that Stutzla was actually part of the well, deal. I said five assets. Okay. Yeah. Nope. Nope. I got it. Okay. Uh, Mad Sogard. Yeah. Zach Ostapuchik. And I'm sure I butchered that. And then <laughs> uh, Levi Merlinen. Uh, okay. So, so Josh Norris. Yeah. Okay. Tim Stutzla, yeah. Stutzla, either one of them, you could call that a win, given the age difference right there. You could call that a win, age difference right there. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, by the way, something that Everyday Sends had tweeted a little way a little way back. You can follow them at Everyday Sends. Um, their evaluation, two top six top-line centers, 
a, protect, a projected future starting goaltender, projected middle six forward with upside, and another NHL caliber goaltender uh, as the Hall. Well, looking that at phenomenal drafting and uh, out of the team. When you but, look at what they got, Marilainen and Sogard are the two goaltenders. 21 and 20 years old. <laughs> so they're not even bumping the ceiling yet. This is uh, impressive stuff. And the tr- uh, to go into what the trade was, um, it was... <sighs> Uh, it was from the Ottawa Senators. Uh, Carlson was traded with Francis Perron for, at the time, Josh Norris, Rudolph uh, Balkers, Chris Tierney, Dylan DeMello, a second-round pick in the 2019 draft that turned into Jamison Reese, a conditional pick in the 2020 draft that turned into, turned into Tim Stutzla, and then a second-round pick in the uh, 2021 draft that turned into Zach uh, Ostapuchik. Ostapuchik, yeah, okay. And then a conditional uh, pick in the 2020 draft. You want to say that that condition came true. Um, Let me... And that that is the other youngster. Um, 2022 draft, first round pick. Uh, Nope. Uh, Or... Anyways, the scouting involved in this by the senators. <laughs> yes. Yes, there's some luck. But oh my, is there some quality work here? Because Josh Norris, all by itself, again, you could call it a win. Mm-hmm. Add any, not counting Stutzler, add any one of these other players. And you can call it a clear win. Tim Stutzla all by itself, you could call it a win. And I'll even go so far as to make the argument that if these other three youngsters, Mad, Zach, and Levy, make the NHL, contribute as middle-of-the-roster players for two years each, that not counting the contributions of Norris and Stutzla, it's a win. Sogard is actually Sogard. It's funny because Mad Sogard they showed on the list there, but Mad Sogard was actually a pick that they got from Carolina. Uh, I think that was a trade of another pick, but I would have to double check. Oh wait, no. Part of the part of the part of the trade that got them the pick from Mad Sogard was they traded the pick that was Jamison Reese. Yes. So that's how it ties into the Carlson trade. Okay. Yep. I mean, that's just, but to, to, to make, I mean, yeah, that was some serious GM work. See, there's a GM earning his, earning his keep right there. I, uh, who's that? Pierre Dorian up there in Ottawa? Dorian. Um, Why can't we get GMs that, like that? <laughs> you have to hope that he can do, and I hate, and I, and I know don't like to say it this way, but. It seems to happen in the NHL 
There mm-hmm. are GMs who can assemble talent, and there are GMs who can put together teams, and the two things are not the same. Um, and I put together a team. I mean serious contenders. He's assembled talent so far, but he's also been in place almost seven years. I th- I know that this is not going to hit home with a lot of people, but I'm going to say it anyway. There is a third ingredient in that mix, and yes, it's it's the assembling of talent, putting together of a team. The third ingredient is that there has to be patience. I'm sorry, but Pagulas who are firing head coaches as frequently as some people change their underwear is not a, a situation for for creating any kind of continuity. No. Yes, yes, yes. Dorian has been GM for seven years, but and but it's these picks from two and three years ago, and some of them you're not going to get. They're not going to hit straight away. Mad Sogard's 21 years old. The other goaltender, uh, Levy Marilainen, is only 20 years old. Stutzla is a young kid. It, it, it's you're putting together the team and you're developing that. The goaltenders come along a little bit slower. Defensemen, as you said many times, uh, three seasons, 200 games, two and a half seasons. Yeah. You're putting together a core, and they're all in their low to mid-20s, maybe some are 26 or 27. But it's a core that can stay together, and you've got them all at decent contract. I think that giving Dorian the time and the energy and the patience to do this and giving him the freedom to make this deal and make it work, I think was key. And I think that now their Ottawa fans are going to start seeing the results of that. I think that Ottawa is on the way up. I think that they could contend for a spot this year. And I think that that's yet another team that puts a team like the Bruins on notice that they may not make the playoffs. Absolutely. And I think that another team that has to be worried about making the playoffs is the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the issue, my only issue with Ottawa, and they kind of fixed it by getting rid of Matt Murray, is their goaltending. Their goaltending does not inspire high-level... Addition by subtraction, though? I mean, Matt Murray can't stay healthy, couldn't stay healthy. I can't believe that... That's ever going to change. I can't believe that Toronto thinks that's going to fix their problem. But, hey, I do not run Toronto. I would not play Mitch Bonner on defense, but, you know. Um, So the story to watch... Are are the three RFAs who are not yet signed by their teams going to be signed before the season opens? That's Jason Robertson, Nicholas Haig, and Alex Formanton. And are the Boston Bruins going to sign Strawman? Um, yeah. Is Anton Strawman going to actually be a Boston Bruin for at least some part of this season? With an actual, you know, contract and salary, or just gotta hang think, him up. I mean, I think the answer to that one is yes. I think that he's going to be here. I think, in some odd way, I think that Grizzly and and 
Grizzly and the Hall of Famer being injured, I think that Strawman gets his. I think that he gets some kind of one year deal. It's not going to yeah. be for a huge amount of money, but yeah, I think that he does get a deal. Um, interesting to note is that Alex Gelchenyuk is also unsigned. Um, Don't you trade him when you want to get more physical, though? No, that's Phil Castle. You trade for Phil Castle when you want to get more physical. Or was he the... No, no, no. It was it was Galchenyuk for Castle because Pittsburgh wanted to get more physical, so they brought in they brought in Galchenyuk and traded out Castle because that's what you do. You bring in when you want toughness, you bring in Galchenyuk. See, I'd forgotten. Tough lesson to learn. <laughs> it was for Pittsburgh too. And that, hockey fans, is where we're going to leave you. Uh, have a great week. With the thought of Galchenyuk being a top guy? Okay. <laughs> um, he's too intimidating to be signed to an NHL contract right now. That's just the simple truth. Everybody welcome Bowie to the league. Yay, Bowie! <laughs>